listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. There, um, there would be several nights growing up when my, my parents would awake from their, their sleep to see my uh, tiny little face looking back at them and never really had any bad dreams. I just never really slept as a child. I, I worried about everything. I didn't, I didn't love the dark. I was, I was afraid of things that weren't there. My parents were, were calm and gracious to me, but they never let me uh, sleep in their bed. I'd grab my pillow my blanket and sleep beside their bed with our um, American Eskimo mix of a dog looking back at me and hardly ever slept. I would stay at my cousin's house and just refuse to sleep. And my, my uncle, he'd put on a movie for me at night and then like two in the morning I'd go to wake him up to tell him that the movie was over and that I needed a new movie. And uh, over the years, it's gotten better. Uh, not perfect, but better. I've learned some healthy coping mechanisms, routines, so I can get some sleep at night. For me, I, I sleep best when my phone is not in our room, so I can't uh, look at article after article of tragedies. And For me, I sleep best when I don't eat late at night. For me, I sleep best when we keep the bedroom around 67 degrees or cooler. For me, I sleep best when I have a warm cup of uh, sleepy time tea. Don't judge me on that one. Uh, for me, I sleep best... Um, when I read a book about some nerdy, made-up fictional world, I've learned healthy tips along the way to help me fall asleep, uh, to stay asleep, and uh, maybe you struggle in this area like I do, or maybe you're one of those wonderful people that, like, just as soon as your head hits the pillow, you are gone, but this isn't a therapeutic message on how we can get physical rest at night. This isn't a message on five practical steps of how to get more sleep. This is a Bible-saturated look at Psalm 4 that will hopefully force our minds to look at some biblical truth. Well, practical uh, application can be good, and I, I, I'm more than willing to talk with you about that outside of the pulpit. What we really need is eternal motivations for those steps. We need to see and understand a foundational reason for how and why we can even sleep as followers of Christ. We need to see and understand a, a foundational reason for sleeping well, even when we're surrounded by, by chaos and uncertainty in our life. So let's look at Psalm 4 on sleeping well as followers of Christ. I'll be in Psalm 4, obviously. Yeah, digital Bible. I'll go through the ESV today. Um, if you have a bulletin, all of that passage is in your bulletin. And as we uh, do every week, Let's pray, and then we'll read through the text together. Father, we, um, we come before you, and I pray for submission of our minds and our hearts. And, and my prayer this morning, God, I have been restless. And it, it is, it's been hard to be content. It's, it's been hard to have a mind that's not 
spinning on a thousand different things all the time. God, rest, rest is not natural in me. It's not often natural in us. God, we need unchanging biblical truth to teach us why, as followers of Christ, we can even calm our minds. So God, I, I pray for understanding as we walk through Psalm 4, uh, that as we read, as we understand, it glorifies your name. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. This is Psalm 4. It says this. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You've given me relief when I was in distress. So, so be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? And how, how long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. And the Lord hears when I call to him. So be angry. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? will lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord. You make me dwell in safety. Uh, this is the second message of our sacred exhortation series, a series that we're setting for several of several psalms from books 1 through 41. Last week we kicked off this book and looked at chapter 1. This week we're focusing on chapter 4, and as you might have noticed, we get a title connected to this psalm before we even get to verse 1. It says in the text, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Now, we're used to seeing titles before chapters as we read the Bible. Uh, for, for my ESV Bible, uh, the title of chapter 4 says, Answer Me When I Call. Uh, however, what comes after is, is different. We see these little titles in Psalms like we see in chapter 4, and those titles are actually called superscriptions. Uh, so the question that we should answer is, like, are, those, are those superscriptions that you see in the text, are those actually a part of the Word of God? Simply, like, should we believe to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David, should we believe that those lines are a part of God's word? And I would make the case that they are. Um, Peter J. Gentry, he gives some insight for us. It's a little bit long, but he says this. Most English Bibles display the superscriptions in fine print. This suggests that to, to the modern reader that those or these superscriptions are secondary in some way, but that's not what we find in our best manuscripts. As far back as, as the famous and respected Aleppo Codex, carefully written Hebrew Bibles display poetry and couplets, which is pairs of lines separated by spacing or accents. And although the psalm superscription sometimes appears centered over the first pair of lines, uh, they usually form the first line or even pairs of lines in the psalm. So either way, tiny accent marks in the text indicate that the superscriptions either are 
verse 1 or a part of verse 1 in each psalm. And these superscriptions are not written in smaller script as if they're somehow secondary to the biblical text. So uh, those superscriptions that we find are actually found in the Aleppo Codex. Uh, what is the Aleppo Codex? I'm so glad that you're interested in all this. Um, it's an ancient bound manuscript of the Hebrew Bible, a group of, of Jewish um, scribes called them Masoretes. Uh, men copied the Old Testament Hebrew manuscript. It's called the Aleppo Codex because it was kept in a synagogue in uh, Aleppo, Syria. And that, here's a picture. I got a picture of it. Um, that is the earliest known Hebrew manuscript of the entire Bible. Why share that? Well, first, because I find it interesting. Um, and second, and most importantly, the title of the Psalms are found in the earliest Hebrew manuscripts that we have. Therefore, we can trust that the introduction uh, to Psalm 4 is actually the inspired Word of God. And since that is true, we can also trust that it gives us some specific context to what we are about to study, that Psalm 4 is obviously a song to be sung with stringed instruments, and it is likewise a psalm of, uh, of David, which will be important as we walk through the text. So this is an evening psalm. This is an evening psalm, and when we move into Psalm 5, um, it's a psalm uh, for the morning. So if you have a, a physical Bible, if you have a digital Bible, you can go on and see that in Psalm 5, 3. It says, O Lord, in the morning, you hear my voice in the morning, and I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. So what does David want us to know and to sing and to cherish in the night in chapter 4? That's, that's the focal point of our message. So the question I'm going to answer, if you're a note taker, is how can believers sleep at night? How can believers sleep at night? Because I get worried, and I, I know you do too. I'm worried about the world my children are growing up in. I'm worried about paying medical bills. I'm worried about church life and, and ministry. And maybe you're even going through it right now. I know for some of us, it has felt like crisis after crisis after crisis. And it's as if we're just treading water and hoping we have enough energy not to drown. So it's imperative that we correctly answer the question, how can believers sleep at night? So whether your life is great right now or it's, it's not, we need to know where our minds should wander as we close out our day. How can we sleep in such a world like 2022? Um, here's point one. Because we know our Father hears our prayers. Because we know our Father hears our prayers. What we see in the text is it's a dialogue, a song between David and God, and then David and his enemies. As David is writing this evening song, he has these pleading prayers to the Lord and, and warnings to his en enemies. And honestly, to, for us today, what we see in verse 1 of our text is a pleading to the Lord. It says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. In fact, it's the name that the prophet Jeremiah gives us in Jeremiah 23, 6. It says, in his days, Judah will be saved. And Israel will, be, or will dwell securely. And this is the name by which... He will be called the Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. And before I continue, let me ask you, is he? Is the, is the Lord your righteousness? Is that the name 
that you can give to the Lord in your life right now? Like, can you listen to this, this message and say, I bring no righteousness of my own to the table. I bring no offering to this holy God, but filthy rags. I need Jesus. I need the righteousness of Christ. It goes back to the very first Psalm, Psalm 1 from last week. Are you righteous? And if you're thinking, well, not really. Uh, I, I sin every day. I, I can't live up to God. And I say, well, that's a great place to start. Because David doesn't say, oh, myself of my righteousness. He says, oh, God of my righteousness. Is the Lord your righteousness today? That's a, a take it to the bank kind of question. That's an eternal question that you have to answer. There is this plea and prayer to the Lord, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Why? Like, why, why, why does David need to pray that? Um, well, in verse 2, it shows us that David has some enemies. He calls them men or men of rank, meaning these, are, these men are leaders, possibly religious leaders, possibly military leaders, possibly wealthy leaders. And David, he's, he's directing this song to them in verse 2. I'm called to be King David. How long will you try to ruin my honor? I'm called to be King David. How, how long will you love empty words and search out your lives? Selah. And that, that word at the end of verse 2 in the Hebrew, uh, that more than likely means just to pause, to, con to contemplate the song. So let's do that. Let's, let's pause and reflect so far. The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord has proven to give us relief time and time again. The Lord has shown his faithfulness. The Lord sees your issues. The Lord notices when people stand against us. The Lord is aware that some men and women aren't out for our best interests. Selah. And if you, if you haven't prayed that prayer, if you haven't prayed the prayers of verses 1 and 2, you will. You live long enough as a follower of Christ, and you will plead to God in that kind of distress. Which is why verse 3 of our text is so powerful. But no... Know that the Lord has set apart the, God, the godly for himself. Do you know that, God's, that God is holy? It, it's, which is far more than just God being perfect, although he is. It's, it's far more than God just being righteous, which he is. God is holy because God is, is set apart from all creation. And when God calls us to be his children, he likewise sets us apart from all creation. It's literally why David wrote, the Lord set apart the godly for himself. What does that have to do with prayer? What does that have to do with sleeping well at night? Well, the Lord hears his children when they call to him in ways that he does not hear others when they call to him. When a, when a child prays to God, the Heavenly Father listens differently than when someone that isn't his kid prays. And last Sunday, um, some of us, we went uh, to the River Riders baseball game as a church, and uh, I was walking to the concession stand with my oldest son, Ezra, and he had $5. He wanted to, to buy some Dippin' Dots, which is really just 
uh, overrated and overpriced ice cream. And uh, as we are walking there, uh, his friend saw what was happening and turned to me and said, oh, I want some Dippin' Dots. And my first response to him was, no. <laughs> and a little bit more gracious, and I said, well, let me, uh, let me ask your dad uh, first. And so I called his dad, sitting up in the stands, and asked him, and said, hey, can I buy your son some Dippin' Dots? And he said, no, because uh, he just ate some. And uh, I was like, man, I'm, I think I'm getting bamboozled at the ballpark. And the point is, I didn't listen to the requests of someone else's child like I did my own. I mean, it's not that I couldn't hear him. It's not that in my good grace I couldn't respond to him. But as a father, my ear is turned to the request of my own children. Meaning, if you are in Christ... Your heavenly Father hears you when you call. Your, your prayers are not like some please, a, a man upstairs or the big guy in the clouds. Your prayers are as a child pleading to his father, and his father hears the pleading of his children. So children of God, you're not alone. You don't lay at, at, down at night wondering if your dad has left, wondering if your dad will ever come home, Wondering if your dad will ever pay attention to you. Wondering if your dad loves you. No, we can sleep at night knowing that the Heavenly Father loves us and listens to us and hears us when we call to him. How can believers sleep at night? Here's point two that we see in the text because we can be honest with our emotions. And, and the truth is just because the Father hears you, doesn't mean things are going to change right away. And just because the Father hears you doesn't mean things are ever going to change. In verse 4 of our passage, David directs his song back to those that oppose him. Be angry, he says. The opposition is angry. Like, how could the Lord let some no-name little shepherd from Bethlehem be king? It doesn't make sense. And, and I love the freedom of the scripture that gives us to be honest with our emotions that the entire book of Psalms is it's filled with raw and real and sad and angry and bitter and depressing and happy and, and joyful and tearful emotions. Don't let people in the church tell you that you can't be honest with your emotions and how you feel. It's normal to feel angry at times. It's normal to feel upset when your life hasn't turned out the way you thought it would be. And yet David says, do not sin. Meaning, there must be a difference between being angry and sinning. And you might think, well, it's easy for them not to sin. They shouldn't be angry. David is God's anointed king, and they shouldn't be angry because David is a man after God's own heart. And you might be thinking, well, I have every right to be angry and to be hateful, and to be mean, and to be sinful towards those around me, because they certainly don't love the Lord like David. And I would say, even if you're angry with your enemies, which I, is a normal emotion to have, even if you're angry, your only play is love, not sin. I think we know it by now, Matthew 5, 43, you've heard it. It, it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
Simply, we can be honest with our emotions, but we don't get to be sinful with our emotions. David is saying, be angry, be honest, just don't be sinful. And when you go to bed at night, ponder in your own hearts what the Lord has done for you, and then keep your mouth shut. Psalm 77, 6, I said, let me remember my song in the night, let me meditate in my heart, then my spirit made a diligent search. Or more simply, the day is for being honest with our emotions, even our anger. But the night is to ponder the good things of the Lord and be silent. Selah. Do you want to know why you struggle with sleeping at night? Um, it's really the same way I, I struggle. It's because you try to process the emotions of the day when you should be pondering the things of the Lord. So Christians need to do a better job of getting in bed and keeping our mind silent. That we leave the angry and the doubtful and the emotional self-talk silent. That we leave our phones silent. As the famous verse in Ephesians that I've heard quoted at countless weddings says, Ephesians 4.26, do not be angry or be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Being silent is the lost art of being a Christian. I mean, growing up in church, I was taught how to act, and I was, I was taught what to say, but I rarely remember being taught on how to be quiet before the Lord. Be angry, just don't sin. Be angry, but leave it out of the bedroom. Get in your bed at night and be still and know that God is God, Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. And I'll be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted on or in the earth. How can believers sleep at night? Point three, uh, because we put our trust in the Lord. We put our trust in the Lord. Uh, moving right into verse five, David said, offer, offer right sacrifices. What does David mean by that? I'm not entirely sure. Um, There's certainly wrong ways to offer sacrifices in the Old Testament, but I, I do believe it's possible he's referring to what is mentioned in Psalm 51. It says this in verse 16, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And that, that psalm from David wrote after the darkest sins of his life, meaning offering right sacrifices is actually offering a right and repentant heart before the Lord. So when we come to the Lord with a humble and repentant heart, then we're offering right sacrifices, and then we can trust in the Lord. Or put it in what Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then walk or go with confidence and draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need, that we can confidently go before, before the Lord and put our trust in Him. You know, um, 
I do wonder if we struggle with this uh, because we have some trust issues. Anyone have trust issues? I mean, what a, what a fun survey. Thank you, yeah. I was like, I'm gonna survey them, see who trusts me. Um, people we love have let us down. People that were supposed to be there for us have let us down. People that we've looked up to and should have been our godly leaders have let us down. And to be sure, we've let ourselves down. So our entire our framework of experience has been flawed people that don't always follow through with what they say. So it's difficult for us to understand the biblical truth that we can trust the Lord. But let me prove to you why we can. Colossians 1, love these verses Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The Christ is everlasting and holds all things together. And Christ, he's unlike anyone that you've ever met in your life or that you'll ever meet. That all things were created through him, all things were created for him. He is before all things. He holds all things, all created things together. Therefore, you and I can sleep well. There's nothing you're, you're juggling right now that the Lord can't take care of. There's no question in your life that God doesn't already have the answer to. And there's no event that is going to take place tomorrow that God didn't preordain. And as, as I was typing that sentence on Thursday night, um, Corey's at Bible study. The boys were uh, outside playing uh, Eliza, our daughter, had just finished uh, drinking some Pedialyte. She's been slowly recovering from tonsil, tonsillectomy, and I assume she went outside to, to watch her brothers. This is 100% one, true. As I was typing, there is no event that will take place tomorrow that God did not preordain. I heard the crash, and the, the neighbor's uh, small ATV rolled in the street, helmet flying through the air, and so um, I saw the helmet fly and heard the crash and jumped out of my chair and ran outside. I just knew that kid uh, had hurt himself on his ATV, didn't expect to find my daughter crying on the side of the road. Um, she's barely had enough energy to walk from her bedroom to the living room, but apparently she had enough energy to get on the ATV and crash hard in the middle of the street, and so... Uh, my wife and I spent Thursday night in the emergency room, just making sure Eliza didn't uh, break her hand or her head. And uh, Jenny, who was up here earlier, watched the boys for us. Uh, she's wonderful. and Definitely didn't expect to end my Thursday night like that. Um, definitely didn't anticipate an ER visit this week. And yet, we don't know what tomorrow holds. It, it doesn't matter how secure you think you are, everything can be ruined with a phone call. Your day can be turned upside down in a moment. And so we don't sleep well because we know what tomorrow brings. We sleep well 
because Christ holds all things together. And he already knows, and he's already there, so trust. And I'm telling you that just as much as I'm telling myself that. Put your trust in the Lord. How can believers sleep at night? Uh, Point four, because we have lasting joy in our hearts. Verse six, it says, Many people will say, who will show us some good? I mean, do, do you not feel that statement? If your God's so good, where is it? Where's this good in your life? Where's the good in the world? When will this good God of yours show us some good? Because often we only see what's terrible. Children being murdered in the classroom. Natural disasters and car accidents and cancer and death. And many will say, who will show us some good? And so David's response is startling. He says, shine the light of your face upon us, O Lord. I mean, Christ... Christ has put more joy in my heart than they have their grain and wine abounds. Things don't always look good. Things don't always seem good, especially when those around you just certainly don't even love the Lord seem healthy and wealthy. But believers sleep well at night not because their bank accounts are full, not because they've avoided difficult things. Believers sleep well at night because they have joy the joy of Christ in their heart. So grain and wine can only provide temporary happiness, and there's nothing wrong with being happy, but Christ can provide eternal joy. Um, I entered full-time ministry when I was 25 years old and uh, quickly realized that I needed to buy a planner to survive being an, an adult and when I was younger, I, I didn't need to plan ahead for anything. Um, went to work, and when they told me, I, I did the work that was required of me, and then outside of that, I just enjoyed my life. Like I didn't have—I just lived in the moment. I didn't have to plan for anything. That changed as I got older and realized I could not survive uh, just the pace of ministry, the pace of life, without a physical planner. And then, about eight years ago, that changed again adopted the twins and brought them home from the NICU as premature infants and realized that, uh, that the physical planner is not going to cut it anymore. Um, I needed a planner that was going to be with me all the time. A planner on my phone, I needed to see what was ahead and then just uh, adjust on the fly. The problem is like, I, never, I never fully complete all my tasks. Um, it doesn't matter how early I get up or how late I stay up, or how hard I work, I will eventually have more to do on my list. And it's just not easy. It's not easy sleeping at night, knowing there's more work still to be done. It's not easy to find rest on vacation for any of us, or on our day off, or when we lay down at night, knowing that there's something else on that list. And yet, before Christ breathed his last breath on the cross, he said, it's finished. Romans 6, 10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So regardless of what tomorrow holds, regardless of what we think we still need to complete, Christ 
loudly proclaimed, it is finished, he died once for all. And the greatest need that we have has been fulfilled. And the greatest and most urgent item on our to-do list is fully and finally complete, that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, which leads us to our main point and verse 8. Sleep in peace, y'all. Sleep in peace. Sleep in peace because the God of peace has secured our righteousness. We sleep in peace because... It is Christ alone that the text says makes us dwell in safety. And if you go back in Psalm 3, 5, it put it, we sleep and then we wake and then the Lord sustains us. And if you're in Christ, I mean, you have, you have every eternal reason for sleeping well. I'll end with this verse, Isaiah 32, 17. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. And I I pray that followers of Christ uh, start sleeping a little bit better. Um, If you have any questions about Psalm 4, or would like someone to pray over you, or join the church, or give your life to Christ, I'd love to talk with you after the service. Let's uh, pray together.